Guys, welcome back for the third and final uh, interview tonight uh, with the excellent William Pebbles from Huntington Baseball Co. Uh, my name's John McKellar. I'm from the Glasgow Comets of the Scottish uh, National Baseball League and uh, one half of Ball Caps and Bagpipes. And I'm Jason Durr, Baseball Scotland Hall of Famer and former league president. I'm also known as Bubba on Baseball and I'm on the owner of Dugout Classics. Uh, we, as I say, have William Pebbles from Huntington Baseball. William, would you like to say hello? Hello, everybody. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks so much for joining us, William. Um, I'd like to start off the interviews with the same couple of questions. Uh, the first one being, uh, tell us about your baseball background. Uh, did you play growing up? Uh, if so, to what level? And uh, what positions did you play? Um, I played low level. I played <laughs> Little League until I was about 14. And that was about it. And I played all the wrong positions. So uh, I was a short kid. I was a little stocky and I played third base and I didn't have much of an arm. I should have been playing second base. Um, <laughs> and I caught. So I had broken thumbs, which I, I regret now. Uh, but yeah, that, that was about it. I, I actually I went to a regional high school and we had a, a pretty decent team. And one of the, our coach was in uh, the, the local sports media. So there was a lot of interest uh, in the team at the school. So, uh, and pretty good talent because we had four towns in, in the school I went to. So there was no chance I was making that team. And that was it. <laughs> um, do you follow a particular major league team? Um, where are you from? Uh, I am near Boston. So you can take a guess who I root for. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to make a joke, but your team is playing right now and mine is not, so. <laughs> <laughs> Things are back to the way they should be. <laughs> no, no. Uh, did you have any favorite memories growing up as a Red Sox fan then uh, is there a particular game that sticks out in your mind bear in mind that I've been living in denial about the uh, 2004 ALCS ever since <laughs> so uh, if we could not bother touching that that would be appreciated <laughs> uh, I was a kid in the 80s so uh, aside from 86 and in a couple playoff years in the later 80s uh, it really wasn't that exciting they were kind of they were a good team, but they weren't a great team. Um, but I would get into Fenway Park uh, through a neighbor friend of mine who knew the, uh, the radio broadcaster uh, for the Red Sox. So he would get us great seats and uh, it was always good. We'd go in with my family and Fenway Park was, was just a great place to go and grow up and watch baseball. So that, that's pretty much what I did. And then I went to college in Boston in the Fenway neighborhood. So I would go to games all the time. I graduated there in uh, 99. So got to see uh, the All-Star game from Lansdowne Street in 99, watching McGuire hit bombs over the wall. Um, yeah, it was cool. Did you go to BU then? Uh, no, I went to Mass College of Art. So right, okay. I'm just on the other side of the fence. No, just because like the one time, well, no, I've been to Boston twice now, but the one time I did, I was dating a girl who went to BU and you could see Fenway from uh, her apartment. It was great. Yeah. Uh, except we went in February, so I didn't get to see any games. <laughs> Yeah, my students, I, I studied industrial design at Mass College of Art, and I had a studio on the 12th floor of the, uh, on, on campus, and you could see the green monster from, from where I was sitting. You couldn't see anything on it, but the lights were on, and you could see the green wall, so that was good enough. Listen to it on the radio. I listened to a ton of games on the radio as a kid, and uh, still do, actually. It's one of my favorite ways to catch a game. Good. Interesting. Would you say then that you prefer the the old style sitting around the radio uh, way of uh, uh, kind of consuming a ball game rather than watching on TV? I almost never watch a game. Uh, I, I 
a few years ago, I would catch every single Red Sox game uh, through the season. And I'd watch every game in the playoffs and the World Series. I would watch pretty much a season, mostly from the Red Sox perspective, but from opening day right through the last pitch of the World Series uh, on TV. But then I had kids and they want to watch other stuff and they don't want to watch <laughs> baseball. So I and I'm generally working at night, too, when the games are on. So I, I don't catch too many games, uh, but I will put it on the radio. That's awesome, man. Like, I like to listen to Yankee games uh, if I'm out and about and uh, the Yankees are playing a day game. Um, there's like a, it's just a different, it's a much different experience. Uh, like the radio announcers, especially if they're good ones, um, are very good at kind of painting a picture uh, yeah, with absolutely. words. And it's like listening to an audiobook versus watching a movie. It's just a totally different way of interacting with the game. And it, and it can be a really fulfilling experience. Yeah, it is. So I actually got into baseball from a, uh, an elderly neighbor who lived down the street uh, when I was a kid. I was uh, not nine, 10 years old. And he, uh, he ended up moving out of town. He moved to Florida, as they do. <laughs> uh, but he he, uh, he introduced me to the game like through a bunch of stories from when he was a kid. And he he was born in 1917, and he was uh, a bat boy for the Boston Braves in the in the 20s. So wow. he knew everybody. And right from the late 20s into the the 30s, and uh, Babe Ruth kept a house in Massachusetts, and. Uh, this guy that I knew, he would caddy for him when he would play golf. So oh. he's had a ton of stories. And then he was in the army with, uh, you know, and then there's a, you know, World War II. He was a, a colonel in the army, um, or I think he might have been in the Marines because he was with. Uh, he knew Ted Williams. Not he wasn't. He didn't serve with him, but you know they had a chance to meet a couple times. And, and yeah. Ted Williams, being a Red Sox player, he was a local. So um, there's just tons and tons of those kind of stories when I was a kid. Old. So old do you think he pulled rank to go meet Ted Williams? <laughs> I would. <laughs> yeah, I would too. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Those suit up. Um, but yeah, he and he introduced me to uh, vintage baseball equipment. I'd never seen anything like that. He he actually gave me his first basement from when he was a kid uh, that was gifted to him by George Sisler. So I mean, this thing was ancient, and oh. I was used to you know like modern Wilsons and Rawlings and and things like that. And he pulls out this thing that looks like an oven mitt. Um, and <laughs> I don't know, I just fell in love. I've been collecting vintage sports equipment ever since. So that was in the mid eighties. Did you got anything on the hand that you can show us? Oh, I've got tons. Yeah. I mean, not is that it? one. That one's not close by, but this one, this is, this is the oldest one that's close. Whoa. Um, yeah. Oh my gosh. Harsh, but. That looks like like a, a outdoor uh, gardening glove. It's just yeah. super size. So, well, you're the apparel guy. You you'll appreciate this. The let me see if I can get this right. Right here is Eminem, Philadelphia. You probably can't read it. Yeah. Can you see it? That's Mitchell and Ness. So, Hold on. that's back when they were a sporting goods company, and this is probably uh, 1920s or so, 1920ish. Yeah, because I think yeah, by that time they started uh, their apparel stuff there. Because I remember reading their backstory about it. I'm gutted that they don't do any baseball stuff out here, but no, I'm working on it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. William, well, they, uh, they used to make equipment too. So and and hats and uniforms and all that stuff. Uh, William, have you ever played catch with any of those old twenties uh, clubs? Uh, not generally the twenties because they're a softer horsehide and they'll they tend to fall apart. Right, um, but let me grab another one. This one, 
it is from the 40s and these are great like this you could you could still play with this today uh, it's, like a, it's almost like a brand new glove yeah i was gonna say have, have you restored that or did you buy that the way it is yeah i mean I, actually i play with this um this is a great glove to play this is i mean this is really like a brand new glove and as far as like older stuff goes i actually make 19th century gloves so this Amazing. is a I was gonna ask about that, but um, we yeah. might as well jump into it now. <laughs> so this is a eighteen, like circa eighteen ninety, catcher's glove. So have, a catch? Um, starts a catcher's bit. Yeah, this is what they would catch. With. So oh if you God. were playing second base or uh, any other position, you or even yeah. first base, you wouldn't have a glove at all. It would, you'd just be catching barehanded. Um, That's like goalie and hockey without a mask. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's those guys were hard as hell. Yeah, they, they sure were. So let me, let me pull out a picture for you. So John, there's there's a whole vintage baseball league movement, mm -hmm. and they play right. like 1880s rules, and they dress like it too. It's awesome. Right. John's, not, John's not on Instagram, so so he doesn't see <laughs> where I am. Like, oh man, these guys show up uh, and and play a game, and like they use like uh, chalk to keep the score on there. It's really cool. This is a, you see that? Yep, yeah, yeah. Yeah, see that pinky that's all busted? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's what pretty much every catcher's hand looked like, and that's why they started wearing gloves. Jeez. Oh. I, that's just, that dumbfounds me. Jason, what kind of speed would you expect the pitcher to be throwing back in like those days? I mean, I mean I'd, I'd be, granted, we're probably not talking 100 miles an hour, but like, are we talking maybe 80? Yeah, I'd probably say so. You're still talking about the 80s and stuff like that. Yeah. There. Yeah. And guys would just be catching it with either no glove or those little that's insane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If if you um maybe you can catch what maybe you can catch a vintage game online. I don't know if anybody uh broadcasts that or maybe there's something on YouTube, but if you watch a, a cross infield throw from third base or second base to first base, they're coming in hot. <laughs> so yeah. somebody's coming down the first baseline and you're trying to throw that guy out you're throwing it yeah. and the first baseman's catching it barehanded it's, i find uh, i just i just find this completely mind-blowing i've never i've never <laughs> john just started to play first base this season so, so yeah so he's just learning how to catch the ball so <laughs> yeah yeah i've uh, spent most of my seven years as a as a corner outfielder um but i've transitioned to first base this year i can't imagine Catching one of Albert's throws, Jason, the from short without a glove. That's <laughs> just insane. My mind's yeah. just been absolutely blown. Sorry, it's, it's like <laughs> <laughs> think of it as cricket. Just but yeah, you'd still catch the ball and still cradle it, but yeah, you're not going to catch it like you would normally do with a, a normal glove. You do is change the way you catch it. Yeah, you have to absorb so. it more than. <laughs> I guess that's true. Yeah. You make the bats for the vintage baseball as well, too. I do. I've got a few on the wall in front of me. Um, we have, I, I focus mainly on the unusual styles and, and, and beautiful styles. So the 19th century and early 20th century, there's a lot of experimentation. Right. And the, uh, I'll grab a couple, but yeah, like said, really we, time in the world. we can stay up as late as you want to stay up. I mean, my bedtime was two hours ago. <laughs> Good. As long as I'm not ruining you for the the next person, that's fine. No, I, I have whiskey here in front of me too. So, so it, it, uh, usually the last interview of the night, we usually you know we say it's gonna be like 45 minutes to an hour. 
lately they've been an hour and a half. So uh, long, we're good to go as long as you're good to go. Yeah, it works for me. We can do that. I got enough whiskey here to last that long. Well, I, like I said, <laughs> I, I, got a, I got a whole bottle. Like I literally just cracked this thing open. So I, I'm good to go. So but if I if I nod off, <laughs> I want to tell my wife, all right, she can wake me up in the morning here. <laughs> Well, if you tell me I don't have to feel bad about keeping you up all night, then I'll keep you up all night for sure. All right, let's do it. <laughs> um, all right, so this is a like 19, I think it's 1906. This is a uh, Napoleon Lajoie style bat. Mm -hmm. So he kind of pioneered, or maybe not pioneered, but he made famous this open grip. So you'd hold the bat with uh, your hands spread apart. Mm -hmm. And there's three different versions of this bat. Uh, this one I think is the most attractive looking. Uh, there was another one where there are two knobs that were closer together. Right. And then there's a third one where the second knob is up a lot higher. So you'd hold it more up here. And you just kind of punch the ball and place it wherever you want. So, you know, you're it's not looking like a, at home runs with a bat like this. You're just looking to get it over someone's head or out of their reach. It's only, it's only like a step away from a bunt, really, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. And I actually do have a, a, a bat that's called a bunting bat. Oh, right. Uh, I can't wait to see this. So this one here has a tapered, like an egg-shaped knob on it. And there's really no natural bottom on it. So you can hold it wherever you want. And if you're just, you know, you don't have to give away your, your, your bunt. Uh, it's just a matter of slapping it and putting it right down where you want it. Yeah. So like I said, I looked into making bats out here uh, just because bats are expensive to get shipped out to Scotland. I was like, all right, we'll do this. So I did a bunch of research. How balanced are the bats? Because I mean, the uh, old, uh, I so mean th that's actually exactly what this one is. This is the the ball knob bat. We call this one the burly, right? And it has a this extra weight on the on the end of the the knob. So this again, this is another one where you kind of hold it up a little bit. You're not necessarily down the bottom of the bat, but the whole point of that is to give you more weight on the on the handle end, right? So that it makes and this is a pretty heavy bat. This this bat weighs about um, they're all slightly different from bat to bat, but I'm guessing this one is about a 40, 41. Oh my God, that's heavy. <laughs> and it's thick. I, just, I, don't, I don't have a modern bat out here right now, but this, uh, the, the thickness on the handle is significantly more than a modern bat. A modern bat feels like a toothpick in your hand, whereas this, this is a pretty significant piece of lumber. Oh, yeah, there you go. I've got mine by um, this is my pillbox bat. Then they're coming on the show. They're part of the group, so I feel like I can show us off there. But, <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, I mean that that was the whole thing. I mean, I like that it was weighted on that end for the grip, and then but then there. Yep. So guys, yeah. I want to ask you guys a question as a layman over in Scotland here. Um, these older bats look like they're designed for guys to choke up on the on the on the bat, whereas like obviously nowadays you would see more. The guys really don't do that as much now like it's more toward the bottom um where in, where in history did that transition start and sort of where did it change where a guy would from where a guy would usually choke up on the bat to the way things are now uh, i think you can probably thank babe ruth for that so it's to be uh, right. pretty okay. much putting an end to it because he made a spectacle of home runs you know, he mm -hmm. was going to a game to watch babe ruth you were hoping that he would hit a home run uh, yeah. whereas you know, you don't want to see Babe Ruth go hit a single. You don't want to go see him slap one over <laughs> the first baseman's 
first baseman's mitt. You want to and, and leg out a single? That's not going to happen. That's not fun. I mean, Maybe it was we, funny. <laughs> watching him, watching him waddle around is probably quite funny. But yeah, yeah, the, yeah he was known for his for his long ball. I would say, yeah, I, would say I take it back. If I could see him try to leg one out down down the line, I <laughs> I would tune in for that. I would, I would that. So uh, obviously. I was gonna say you make the bats. Do you ever take them to the cages and test them out and just see what kind of reaction you get from people? Um, no, I've actually never played with uh, any of these, but I've I've been to uh, a lot of vintage games where, where the bats are being used, and so that, that's uh, my hitting has not improved in my forties. <laughs> <laughs> so don't, yeah, don't feel bad. We we had a heavy J. Jason Schwartz said he went zero for two years before he got like hit by a pitch to get on base. So you know. Oh, nice. So the level is pretty low with the amount of artists and makers we've had on there. So don't worry yeah. about it. Yeah. Yeah. I was probably the only art, uh, only artist in art school who had any interest in sports. So it's, it's kind of a, a miracle that I made it this far continuing <laughs> with this love of the game in, in this profession. Cause it's, it's not common for sure. Nobody knows how to play in, in the arts. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Uh, guys, uh, before we go any further, I've got uh, a couple of comments here from Graham Nelson, a good, a good friend of uh, the Ball Caps and Bagpipes podcast. Uh, a couple of them are to you, William, and uh, the other one is uh, a funny comment. I'll start with that one. Uh, it says, geez, two whiskeys and Jason will be done. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, William, uh, two things here are, um, so the please do not throw bottles sign behind William is cool. Is that from Fainley? Uh, no, that is from the Southside Grounds in Chicago. That predates Comiskey uh, by about eight years, I think. I think it was 1906. Um, the, there is one. So if you look right here, that says no pepper. And that was in Fenway Park. <laughs> wow. Well, uh, I grew up looking at that on the wall. <laughs> What with no pep? What does no pepper mean? Is it literally? We don't, mean, we don't pick pepper don't... out here, so I'll let you take that one. Uh, pepper's just not a game. We, we, we would we would chance over here in Scotland. So, <laughs> so is it like an American equivalent of a no ball game sign then? Uh, so uh, he's getting stuff. So basically, with pepper, you line up with like three or four guys. You have a batter up there, and you would throw the balls there. And the object is to all right, William, show it off. You got to speak so you can show it off. Okay, sorry. Um, Gotcha. So this is the uh, this is the no pepper sign, and this was stenciled on the wall at Fenway Park or on the infield. Oh, cool! And this was in this is in pretty much every ballpark in the land, from little league fields and town town fields to the major leagues. It was absolutely everywhere. And so it's kind of a fast paced game where you throw a ball into a circle and you hit it from some one guy with a bat will hit it into a, a circle of uh, guys with, with gloves and the objective is to not let the ball hit the ground so you're it's really fast paced you're throwing it he's hitting it someone's catching it throwing it hitting it and if it hits the ground then you get to start over but what it does is it tears up the infield and it tears up the grass and mm -hmm. it creates dead spots so the groundskeepers hate the game everybody loves to watch it because <laughs> it's fast paced and fun to watch but yeah groundskeepers hate it because it destroys the grass so really 
<laughs> yeah, no, we, we tried doing pepper out here and uh it's just lost on people because it would just get by people so uh <laughs> it's why we just don't do that here uh, i've got a couple more comments here there's actually a few more here so uh, i'll just read these out just now um that uh, 19th century mitt looks like a cricket wicket keeper's glove a little bit uh nick clark says uh glad to see you guys are online um but shame about the yankees here <laughs> Come on. Uh, Graham says Nick Clark would have us playing pepper before training back in the day. Um, Nick says, good shout about no pepper in Scotland, we'd kill somebody. And uh, Stephen <laughs> Loudon uh, has just asked Nick if he's watching the Blue Jays. So, um, but yeah. Um, so the Yankees are at the moment ahead two to nothing over the Indians. So suck it, Nick. <laughs> 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 All right. Okay. We've gotten to this part of the episode, and I'm the one drinking. You're not even having a drink. <laughs> I'm drinking water, uh, which in Lanarkshire is suspect in itself. Any <laughs> whiskey in that water? There is no. <laughs> no, John doesn't drink, so I'm. I'm I mean, water. it's it's probably got something in it that I, that I shouldn't know about. So who knows? <laughs> So uh, we've obviously chatted multiple times, and we'll, we'll touch on uh, the awesome balls you make. But your parents are from the Glasgow area, am I correct? Uh, yes, yeah, my dad is. My mom's American. My dad grew up in Scotland. Well, he was born there. He lived there till he was 12. And uh, only until recently, when my generation started having kids, do I now have more family in America than I do in the UK. For a vast majority of my life, it was the opposite. More family in the UK than... Than in the states is that going to change with the coming election <laughs> yeah that may change <laughs> i was very interested in getting dual citizenship in uh, when i got married in 2005 and my wife was like no no my family's here i can't leave i don't want to do anything and now the uh, the mood has definitely changed and maybe that's more of an option so we'll see well, maybe you... we will at that point <laughs> <laughs> have you spent have you spent much time out in Scotland, William? Uh, I went. I've only been once. Uh, I went when I was eight years old. That was a long time ago. Um, but I'd love to go back. My family's been back a few times. Uh, it's just the timing has never really been great for us um, to join them. But I have uh, two brothers and a sister, and they've all been multiple times with my parents. And I went with my grandparents when I was eight. So it was fun. We went there for three weeks. And generally, that's usually the way it goes. Two or three week. Yeah, see, Quit, big, the big quit. Sorry, Jason. The big question is: when you were when you were here, do you remember how the weather was? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't. I went in June, and it wasn't terrible. It rained, obviously. <laughs> but, um, you were saying it wasn't shite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't terrible. We, I. I I, I would do it again for sure. We, we, and we traveled a lot too. We were all over the place. So we were in Glasgow for a bit and uh, I don't remember all the stops, but I remember cliffs, uh, a, a wrecked ship on a beach and I went up to Orkney for a week, I think. Something, something like that. So spent a lot of time on ferries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, you go island hop and you spend a lot of time on ferries, especially if you went to the Orkneys. That's a, that's a long trip. Yeah. Yeah, and well, we broke it up. We ended up, we ended the trip there. Um, and I don't, I don't know, I don't really remember exactly the chronology of it, but uh, there was, 
there were a few stops along the way. So it wasn't, I don't even know how long it takes to get there, but for me, it took probably 10 days. <laughs> Various stops. Just so you know, John, when we started the Baseball Scotland Ball Project, we uh, I, I did send William some some goodies from back home. I believe there was some Aero Bars and some kid, or not Kinder Bueno. There was some um, oh gosh, a Dairy Milk. No, was Dairy Milk? No, it was Flake. Flake. That's what it was. Ah, <laughs> Flake. Yes, um, the Flake, which when you put an ice cream over here, is known as the ninety nine. Uh, who knows why? This, <laughs> this country is bizarre. <laughs> We deep fry Mars bars for crying out loud. Ah, uh, yeah, but those are good. Those are really good. I'll take a word for it. I've never had one. Uh, I, I would I would like to say I'm a connoisseur of them. <laughs> <laughs> Your waistline will thank you, I'm sure, one day. You know, it's, it's cholesterol it's, level. It's one of those things when everyone from back home comes over and you're like, all right, what do you got to do? I said, all right, you got to try haggis. You got to have iron brew. And then you gotta oh. have a, a deep fried Mars bar. So well, like, uh, yeah, I'm with you on Iron Brew, but other than that, no, haggis is disgusting. Haggis and is good. Deep fried yeah, chocolate. Yeah, I mean, come on. That that was a that was a, a welcome sight when I opened that box. Mm. It was a, the can of Iron Brew. <laughs> I've had one what of those in my God, it's probably been twenty years. <laughs> so so it was really funny. So we chatted with Mark Donaldson of ESPN, and he does caps off, which is the kind of the, the baseball equivalent we have out here and uh he's from edinburgh and uh so we asked him you know what he missed back home and i was like you must miss iron brew and and so scotland now has a sugar tax so iron brew has less sugar in it now and he was saying that he can get full fat iron brew over there in <laughs> bristol connecticut and he has people <laughs> asking him to send iron brew back home because it actually tastes better <laughs> oh wow that's like Mexican Coke. Yeah, exactly. So I, you can get Mexican Coke out in um, in Europe. So like when I go back to Sweden, I, I would normally get like a, a Coke and a Mountain Dew because it's actually with real sugar. Do they just call it Coke or is it Mexican Coke? No, it's just actually real Coke and like that. You know, you still skyrocket from the sugar rush from it, but, right, yeah. <laughs> but they call it they call it El Coke. <laughs> you have to dig for it here. But it's one of those funny things there because I always laugh because I always get like one Mountain Dew for that, you know, childhood memory of going, oh yeah, full, full sugar Mountain Dew. And <laughs> I uh, I tried Mountain Dew once. It was it was pleasant. I enjoyed it. But over here, it's Mountain Dew Energy. It doesn't taste the same. Uh, no, I found, I managed to find like actual Mountain Dew once from a, in a shop years ago. I don't even know if they were even allowed, legally allowed to sell it, but it was uh, like an old shop. Like I'm talking probably 2006. Uh, there was a place in Glasgow that had it. Um, it was alright. <laughs> <laughs> you still have all your teeth, so you haven't had you know that much of it yet. Most of my most of my teeth, most of my teeth, Jason. <laughs> Let's go into okay. your products. Clearly, I'm a big fan. We've got the shirt. Got your Chris Yeah, we're drinking our whiskey, and I've I've got the lovely uh, coaster here. Oh, there you go. So uh, obviously, you uh, I, I have this one. It's sitting there. I have it doesn't even come out of the box, but I've got your California Penal League ball because <laughs> that was the first thing I purchased from you, uh, and the shirt at the same time, and the then. I've got the, the Baseball Scotland ball. We still have a few left. We haven't quite sold out yet. So um, let's talk about baseballs. How did you get started? 
So the, this is a kind of a long story. I'll, I'll try not to make it too long, but um, I was in uh, college, I was in the library and there was an issue of Smithsonian Magazine that had a baseball player on the cover and he was playing in a 19th century league and it immediately caught my attention. And I was reading the article and it said that they made all of their own equipment. Um, so they made their own bats, they made their own uniforms, they made their own gloves uh, when they wore them and they made their own baseballs. Someone on the team was in charge of making baseballs. And I said, that is the coolest thing I've ever seen. I can't believe somebody's actually doing that. And I'm gonna try to do that. I know how to make things. Why can't I make a baseball? And uh, at the time I was working at Reebok. So I had some experience making pattern patterns for soft goods and I knew how to make things, uh, make flat things into round things. So I said, uh, I'm gonna give this a try and can't be that hard. And it turned out to be one of the most miserable experiences <laughs> I've ever <laughs> put myself through. It was terrible. It didn't work. It looked horrible. It wasn't even round. And I uh, just kind of, it just ate at me for about 10 years. And so my friend Dan, who worked at the Hall of Fame, the exhibit designer, he kept telling me, you know, because every year we would go to Cooperstown and we talk about baseball and this, this whole idea of, you know, we're going to redesign the Hall of Fame. We're going to make it, you know, this, we're just going in the, we're walking in the door as dreamers. And it was, you know, we're going to create this thing. And, you know, for us, it was like, you know, as a team, we're going to redesign the Hall of Fame. He ended up being part of the actual redesign of the Hall of Fame. And he kept, you know, pushing me, you know, you need to do that baseball thing. You need to, you know, you need to do it. You need to figure it out. You need to make one. You need to sell them. Just do it as a side, side hustle type thing. And uh, the timing was never good. And then in uh, 2008, the timing became really good <laughs> when the market collapsed and, and everything evaporated. Uh, so I had nothing but time and I had a uh, six week old daughter. So I had this young <laughs> person I had to take care of. I couldn't leave the house to get a job because she was too young to drop a daycare. And I had, no, uh, I had nothing holding me back. So I just said, all right, I'm gonna do this. So I set out and made an actual pattern that was based on math, <laughs> not just based on uh, what I perceived a baseball cover to look like. And I just through trial and error, I just kept making cover after cover after cover and putting them together. And I mean, it was basically a year of failures, uh, just, you know, doing it in spare time and creating other things on the side. And, you know, I'd come, I'd, I'd put it down and I'd come back to it. And uh, just, you know, as, as time allowed. And eventually I got to a point where everything lined up and everything looked good and the ball was round and it was attractive and people didn't look at it like it was a joke <laughs> and that I was wasting my time. And then when, uh, somebody said, hey, can you make one for me? Then that's when it became like a real thing. Mm -hmm. Before I was just making them for myself. And then, then it became, you know, I'll make it for my friends and then they'll show it to somebody and then I'll make it for their friends. And it just kind of grew organically from, you know, making things for myself to making things for people I know, to making things for people I don't know, to making things for people that everybody knows. Um, and it's just, it's been a, it's been a fun, fun trip, <laughs> 12 years in the making, but you know, here we are. So you were a stay at home dad for a while and, and doing the baseball on the side. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've, I haven't left my house to go to work in 
14 years. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, no, 12 years, 12 years. So yeah, I've, I've basically been a stay-at-home dad ever, ever since I've had kids. But, you know, I have, uh, I have a workshop at my house. So when I need to get away from the house and those responsibilities, and now it's, I mean, things are chaotic with uh, the whole COVID situation and everybody working from home. My wife works from home. My kids are going to school at home. Everything is, is uh, chaotic, but everything is home-based and I don't know, I just make it work. I don't sleep a lot, but it works. <laughs> I like I said I can completely relate. I'm ten years behind you. I'm only, I'm only two years and a half years in, so I can totally understand. Where all of a sudden everyone's at home, and you're like, "This is my space. You're, you're invading my yeah. space." <laughs> There's a lot to be said for a space away from the house to have a you know this is my workspace and this is my home space and this is my family space. Like to have these defined areas and defined times is great like to have that kind of structure is wonderful and i'd love to be able to return to that but at the moment the way everything uh the way everything has worked out being at home has been uh the biggest blessing to be able to you know to be able to watch my kids grow up is great to have this this business that i can just roll out of bed check my email 10 feet away <laughs> go over, make something, pack it up. And I don't even have to leave my, you know, I haven't even left my driveway yet. So it's, uh, it, it's been great. Um, I don't think those days are gonna last forever, but we'll see. We'll see how the world looks in a year. I 100% agree. I mean, that, that's everything you said. It's from my perspective, it was like, great. So I can be a stay-at-home parent. I can run my shop from the store and, yeah. and I have my, my man cave, or my, the toilet and, uh, <laughs> And yeah, and, and that's exactly it. And I, I find a lot of my parents' generation are like, so you're a stay-at-home parent and you're running your shop. I was like, yeah, but I got to watch my kids. So where it was, I think it was different with our parents' generation. They were like, we have TV now. We can put you in front of right. there in your four channels. Yeah. Put that on um, and get on with things. I don't know how the, the situation is in the UK, but to put my kids in daycare or you know, preschool, things like that, stuff outside of the house when they were young, that was more than my mortgage, like easily, easily more than my mortgage. So it just makes sense to, you know, give the kids the outside time and place that they need where they can go, you know, do, do your preschool, do, do all that stuff, do your activities. I'm going to be at home. I'll pick you up when, <laughs> when it's over and then I'll come back and I'll work when I can. And, and it's, it's kind of a mess. It's chaotic, but I don't know. And you make, make the best it of it. Yeah, you absolutely just make it work. Yeah. It, it just works. So Edinburgh is one of the most expensive places for daycare. Um, it was almost twice our mortgage. I mean, it was just ridiculous there. So yeah. uh, we did it with our first child. And then with the second child, we just went, no, nah, let's just quit your job. You're, you're, you're working for God, the equivalent of like 200 bucks a month. To put them in there and i was like what's the point i was in a job i didn't hate and it was like cool let's just do that you know and you can totally make it happen so so props to you for doing it you're, you're kind of one of the one of the people that actually have done it i'm still kind of just catching up now <laughs> yeah it's been fun i i would have conversations with my grandmother when i would bring the kids over there to visit and you know i'd be five or six years into the business at that point and you know um she'd see me with the kids my wife is at an office job 
and you know she'd say oh don't worry you'll you'll get a job someday I'm like I'm <laughs> doing pretty well actually <laughs> and i'm happy and you know and things are going great but um i'm making i'm making baseballs i mean my grandmother didn't know anything about baseballs or baseball but or, or sports or she knew a lot about pop culture from tv but um like i make baseballs for people that you know <laughs> right. you don't know that i do it but I, that's what's what i'm doing so no, that's it's really cool. So you started with baseballs, and when did you start kind of start branching out? So I actually started out making gloves. That was the ah. that was the primary focus. So I would go to the Hall of Fame, and I'd go dig through their archives, and I mean I had great access. Uh, the, the people there are fantastic in, in the research department, and and the, uh, the curators and and the archivists. I mean they're all just amazing people. And to have a friend in the building who could say, you know, hey, you know, you come stay with me for two nights and uh, you'll be, you know, working in the research library, you know, taking pictures and measurements and, and uh, got to a point where I was making like the things that I was making, I'd bring back and I'd compare and contrast like, you know, all right, this, I need to fix this because this detail is not correct. So, or, or it's not the right size or it doesn't fit right or whatever, but just be able to take this, you know, A and B and, you know, uh, here's my product next to an original and you know, put them next to each other and say, do they look right? Um, that was, that was, uh, you know, a pretty amazing experience, but yeah, so it started with gloves. I thought that's what I was going to be doing. And it was just, it was really just more for me and my friends. Like I wanted to make a 19th century glove because you can't, if you're lucky enough to find one, you have to have, you know, it's a five figure purchase at least $10,000 glove and it's potentially a $25,000 glove. So that's uh, out of my range, but you know, I've, I have hand skills. I, I can make things and I, I can cut things. And um, so that, that's what I did. I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to make one and I'm going to use it and I'm going to do, you know, whatever, I'm going to play with it. And if somebody wants to buy it, that'd be cool too. Um, but once I started selling or making baseballs to go with, so actually once, once this whole venture had a name, which was, you know, uh, over a beer at, at uh, a restaurant, a local restaurant, it's a small chain near us called the BBC, uh, British Beer Company. <laughs> and they, <laughs> they serve warm beer and, and goldfish. Um, <laughs> uh, that's like, I'm just sitting there drinking this beer and I'm like, it's gonna be called Huntington Baseball Company. That's the name of it. Cause Huntington is the name of the street where I made that first ball in college. It was on Huntington Avenue and it just, I don't know, it sounded like a real thing. Like, this is what it's going to be. And once I gave it a name, it, you know, I started making gloves and putting the name on the gloves. And then like, I can't be a baseball company without making baseball. So I have to figure this out. I have to make this work. So I made it work. And then once they started selling, like, there's no turning back now. So, all right, now I have gloves and now I have baseballs. What else am I going to do? And now, I'm, you know, I, gotta, I have to have, have to add bats. There's no way I can, can't, have, can't play baseball without bats. And then it became, you know, I'll make some hats or make some t-shirts or make some other stuff and the ballpark signs. And I don't know, it's just, it's all vintage baseball history that uh, it's either visual history or the stories that are behind it that inspire me to create something that, that I didn't have an image for that I would just make for myself. Um, I don't know, it's, it's, I don't know, there's just, there's so much inspiration in the old game and the stories that I can't. I can't put it down. Like it's it's the book that you can never stop reading. No, absolutely, I hundred percent agree. I mean, uh, when you start digging those, you know, deep dives and those kind of stuff, and you hear the stories about 
what they played with. I mean, John was just like, there's no way they played catch with that glove. You know, <laughs> uh, it, it's amazing to see how the games evolved. And we, me and John have had this discussion many times about how we find the modern game boring. And it was really interesting talking to Jason Schwartz of uh, Heavy J. I don't know if you know Heavy J. Um, only from Instagram. Right, yeah, kind of same thing. Well, we all know each other from Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> he was talking about how, say, like the New York League was probably the most entertaining league there was uh, and probably still is. And, and so, you know, when you start doing these deep dive into things and you learn so much, uh, it's just amazing. I mean, I just can't get enough of it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's as far as the Negro Leagues go, that was one of the the, the, the the broad umbrella stories that I would listen to as a kid, like, you know, or I'd read about, and like, you know, you, it was mostly from nicknames. Like, I mean, you can't beat Negro League nicknames are the greatest names. You know, I mean, there were probably a, a thousand lefties in the league, but, you know, Cool Papa, like, how do you beat Cool Papa? Or Double Duty, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. the, the coolest characters in the game. And uh, so it's probably a good time to bust out the, the ball that I'm making for the campaign. But that's all right. That's, a, that's what we're going to ask you next. Is it? <laughs> Here we go. Here's proof that I make them because I wasn't able to finish this before I before we went live. Um, but yeah, so this is uh, it's a vegetable tanned, a little bright. Sorry, it's a vegetable tan leather that has the Negro League markings on it. And it's basically their 100 year mark that I, that I pulled apart to make it fit and work on a baseball. But it's, it's their colors. So it's got the red ink and there's a, a light blue and a, and, a, and a navy blue for the thread. And it's much prettier than this harsh light would <laughs> suggest. You shared the photo on, uh, on social media. So they have a, a view. Yeah, of yeah a there you, go. you can find it. And it'll be out there. It'll be out there soon. So I, I took actually reversed course on this ball um, late in the game. It was going to be this is a, a finished version of what I thought it was going to be, right. but it, it's blind embossed. So there's there's no ink. Ah, right. Okay. Yeah. Very nice. And this is nice too, but yeah. it just doesn't pop as much <clears throat> the red ink, and it doesn't. So I, I like that the having the red ink in there pulls the entire logo together uh from from their official mark so that's why I pulled it. that's why i added that so the uh seams on the negro league ball that you put together would that be historically accurate obviously major league baseball you're looking at red seams um would that be the accurate color that a negro league uh, game would use no so the ball that i'm making for this campaign and and i hope that it lives well beyond the campaign uh -huh. is uh it's, it's based on it's based more on the mark and the colors in the mark so right uh, official Negro League baseballs from from um, well from day one until 1956 or 57, whenever it, it folded, they had red seams. So right. it was basically a modern baseball in 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 appearances. Uh, there was, I mean, aside from saying Negro Leagues on it, it, it didn't really have any uh, defining characteristics uh, that would you know separate it from like say an American League ball, which had yeah. you know, red and blue stitching. Yeah. Or National League had red and black, or Federal League, which was orange and teal. So, right. they were just red across the board and black ink. Um, federal, federal, sorry, Federal League was orange and, and teal. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, 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 to be honest, like they only lasted what three years? So two years? Yeah, two years as a major league, and there was one the, preceded by a 
kind of like, like an outlaw league. They were not really, not really minor league, but they weren't recognized as a major league. Right. Okay. So, I'm going to have to look that up later because I don't, I don't think I knew that. that. That's really cool. They never played. So they never got to participate in a world series because they were you know, sued from day one. And <laughs> so it was American and national league. They never got a chance to add a playoff or a world series or, I mean, there was no playoffs, but they never got to participate in any postseason play major league baseball didn't want them to exist <laughs> yeah of course i mean i i have a chicago Wales shirt from chitown clothing and then i have a Wales hat from ebbets field so yeah. um uh, uh, with everything going on i've not had a chance to go research it more but I, I think it's fascinating that league existed for two three years and and uh, there's so much stuff behind it yeah yeah and they were pulling major league talent away from american and national league teams and they had some really, really big stars and that they lured away. They, they paid them really well. And if they didn't get into financial trouble with Major League Baseball trying to sink them, they would have been a competitive and they, they probably would have been a champion from the, the Federal League you know, in the not too distant future. But they never got that chance. So we'll, we've talked about it before. So with the minor leagues and, and they're obviously uh, getting rid of a few of them. Do you think another minor league might pop up? Maybe independently? I, I don't know. I, it's, it's hard to imagine that these players are just going to go away. Yeah. I don't know why Major League Baseball would want them to go away. Um, it, it, I don't know. I, it does not make any sense to me. I can understand the financial burden of having a lost season and, and no fans and being on the hook for paying players in a league that maybe is never, you know, never going to develop, or maybe these guys never go up or whatever, but I can understand like from a business standpoint of why you wouldn't want to pay players who aren't uh, making you money. Yeah. But that's your, the future of your game. I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to, to fold or to, to uh, contract any, any of these leagues and teams. It, I don't know, it doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, we, we've chatted about this off um, through the months and stuff like that there. And we happen to have Chris Brown and he's one of the artists involved in the project. And he was a 35th round draft pick and he still survived in the minors for eight, nine years, I believe. And yeah. uh, we're absolutely gutted because he was such a good chat, but we didn't get to ask his opinion on it there. I mean, he's a guy that would have never been drafted and, and you know, would never have a shot. And he lasted, you know, eight years minimum, you know, right. You know, it's just crazy to think we would go, okay, we're taking five rounds and we're going to cut the minor leagues in half or two thirds. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're going to need guys somewhere. You know, we're kind of saying, me and John were talking about this, we're saying that someone's going to pop up with some sort of independent ball and, and just go, right, we're going to have an independent league and, and see what, compete with that. Well, there's always going to be those guys who are like, you know, the Mike Piazzas who, you know, they're drafted in the 198th round. <laughs> At the favors of your godfather. <laughs> yeah. He's just, he, he just started playing baseball the day before and now he's a hall of famer. So I, you know, you never really know who's going to pop out or who's going to develop. Some of these guys are, I'm, I'm sure are behind, you know, you, you're, you know, a late bloomer or whatever, you have a growth spurt or, or you just have the right coach. Like I, I'm 100% convinced that if I had a better coach, I'd be a major leaguer. So 
No, it's funny you oh. say that. I mean, I, I have a guy uh, who actually played out in Glasgow, and he was drafted, oh, man, probably the 40th round there. And he's like, you know what? If I had the right coach in high school, I would have been motivated and had that focus more. Whereas, like, for myself, like, I literally, like, our coach showed up, like, unlocked the equipment shed, threw some balls out, and, and pretty much just sat and smoked cigarettes the whole time in practice, you know? <laughs> It wasn't very good for encouraging young people to get involved in the game. So, yeah. you know, uh, it's the same idea there. You kind of go, you know, if you had that right motivator at the right time, you you may have excelled in it or not. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, if a, a lot of it is on me. You know, I, w- I w- you know, I was ten years old. I thought I was Wade Boggs. I I, I should have been Marty Barrett, but <laughs> that's just the way it goes. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I, 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 oh man. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so what else? Are you doing anything else for the Negro League fundraiser, or just the balls? I'm doing uh, just the baseball. So that was this all kind of came together. I actually had a different idea, and and I hope to see that through. And maybe we can do another podcast when when that does go through. Um, but that was a more of a, a and this is actually I, mean, I, do, I don't want to see this go away at the end of the campaign. Uh, I hope it lives on afterwards because I'd love to continue selling these and, and raising money for their cause. Um, I've, uh, I think I was talking to, must, I think it was Tad a few, uh, maybe four weeks ago or so about how I had this uh, mail correspondence with Buck O'Neill mm-hmm. back in wow. 2002-ish. And, <laughs> and it was, I don't know, it was just, it was this time in my life where I was just, write down, write a letter and send it off with a stamped envelope and hope that they write back. And, you know, it eventually got to the point where it was, you know, can I send you a ball to autograph? And, and, you know, of course, you know, I do it through the, I do it through the Negro Leagues Museum and we do it to support. And he, I don't know, he sent me whatever his uh, very modest price list was uh, to get a ball signed. And um, part of, what I did for that, I'm like, all right, well, I'll give you your $15 or whatever it is, but here's $40 and I'll be a member of, of the museum. And this is, you know, I don't, I don't know if this is like the, the super early days of the museum, but it was, it was pretty early. And you know, like, I'll, I'm going to, I'll become a me- member of this museum and I'm not even a, a member of the Kansas city community. I live in Boston. I've never been to Kansas city, <laughs> uh, still have never been to Kansas city, but I was a member for a time. So just so it's funny you mentioned that because Bob tweeted out it was the 30th anniversary of the of an opening yesterday. Oh, was it? Okay, yeah. So, yeah, so, so it's not really been around that much. So yeah, because uh, again, I felt bad for not knowing more about the Negro Leagues, but then going, it's only been around 30 30 years, and I've been gone for 18. I don't feel too bad about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's only a 12 year window, and they weren't you know, it's almost like you. Uh, there was no internet back then, right? There was no internet. And I was a little more interested in women than I was in baseball at that time. I'll, yeah. I'll fully admit to that one. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I mean, I, for me, it was like I read books and looking at, you know, looking at uh, these old photos, going through archives and just doing a lot of digging. Like, th- these, are, these are people who are worthy. We're telling a great story and they're worthy of support. And, you know, any kind of financial support that you can give them, they always appreciate it. So uh, anytime that I would send something to Buck O'Neill, it was like, you know, here's, here's whatever cash you want for whatever you're doing and renew my annual membership. And so that was a 
a pretty cool thing. So I've, I've been, this has been on my short list of places and people that I want to support. Um, Cause I just, I really, I, anybody who wants to tell a baseball story, I'm hundred percent in on helping you do that. And they do such a great job. And someday I hope to be able to visit and, and see it firsthand. But from what I've seen online and on Instagram, it uh, looks like they're doing uh, a, a top top shelf job of telling the story and doing their job. So I'm in. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're still flying the flame and it's great to see uh, so much renewed interest in it now. And, you know, absolutely gutting that it's the hundred year anniversary of the league starting and they can't do more of it. Um, right. It's a shame, but um, yeah. I, I'm it. Everyone I talked to said they're, they're super pleased about being involved. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm enjoying every bit of this, so. Yeah, well, this is such a terrible year to have a hundredth anniversary or have any anniversary or to have anything that involves the public. <laughs> yeah. You can't do anything to really celebrate in person. You can't bring anybody in. Um, so that's another reason, man. I'd love to see this carry on for I don't know, indefinitely. I mean, I don't, I don't want there to be a, a final sale day for any of this stuff. I hope that we're able to raise, you know, sell this stuff and raise some money and continue to do it forever. So. I think so. Uh, everyone we've talked to, yeah, I, I've got to fill up here, uh, I'll, <laughs> but I'll do that before we do the cards. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Uh, everyone we've talked to been like, this has been great. It's great to meet the community behind this. Uh, Cause everyone's been like, everyone I know is Instagram fans. And we, you know like that and actually everyone said like it's so great we're doing the live interviews because i actually can see the person and hear the person because this right. has been around before so uh so we're having a blast and i hope you're having a blast well it's a thrill for me this is the first time i've ever done a podcast with a hall of famer so <laughs> <laughs> here's to you you've met real hall of famers like <laughs> <laughs> no, but i've never done a podcast with one so <laughs> All right, fair enough. <laughs> All right, John, do you want to ask your question and then we'll, uh, we'll open up some cards? Uh, yep, uh, before I do, I want to just fire back to some more comments that we've had since uh, we touched on a few earlier. Uh, Nick Clark answered my uh, barb from earlier with Touche John Yankees or the GS Series coin for playing them into shape. <laughs> and then uh, for a few comments there, Jason, you're getting it tight, I'm afraid to say. Uh, Graham Nelson. <laughs> Best way to get UK citizenship is to come over for a vacation and then not leave. So I hear, uh, Nick, uh, that would be the dare migrant business model. <laughs> and wow. then uh, Graham's come back with all the best ideas come from the full-time dad life. Um, so Greg Garfinkel uh, has asked, William, um, love those signs on your walls. And he's asking for the stories behind some more of them. So obviously we touched on the no paper and please do not throw bottle signs, but do you have any more stories that you can share about any of those other signs you've got behind you? Yeah, let me, let me pull one out. Um, there's, I, I went through a phase where I, I made a bunch of these and so this one here, this is no betting allowed on the grounds. Yeah, no betting allowed on the grounds. So this one kind of ironically came out of Chicago as well. <laughs> right, <And okay>. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh this predates the black Sox scandal by about 10 years uh right. possibly more but it's kind of hard to pinpoint an actual a date but 
it would have that in massive lettering around the outfield wall. So basically, and, and around the infield wall as well. So mm -hmm. the entire outfield, instead of having advertisements, it would just say no betting allowed on the grounds um, in massive letters. So a lot of mob influence in Chicago at that time. Yeah. Um, and then this one, this uh, one so is to go very- back, so To go back to the no betting, would that- Oh yeah, yeah. Would that, I mean, I'm over here in the UK and I, I don't really know much about the history of betting in sports in the United States. Would that be specifically for the players or would that be for everyone in the, the stadium? Would that include the fans? It would have been a, um, primarily on the spectators. Mm -hmm. So when you have, you know, you, if you can influence the game right? anyway, okay. which is why uh -huh. Pete Rose is such a, you know, uh, it's such a no-no and <laughs> why he's right. never going to be allowed back in yeah. is because he was, in, he had a, he had a power position mm -hmm. on the team and on the field to be able to yeah. influence, you know, even just being able to like, when do you bring in your closer or how do you, you know, how are you going to face this batter or mm -hmm. things like that to be able to make those calls? Uh, you can, you can easily influence the way, you know, a game yeah. is scored and, you know, whether it's, you know, you, you win by two runs or you lose by one run, it's, it's fairly easy to do. Um, yeah. So yeah, it was, there was a lot of concern about, how you know keeping the integrity of the game you know you want to see honest play and if there's money being thrown around to the players or to anybody else that you know anyone who can influence the game in, in any way through money is you know you don't obviously you don't want to have that taking place so that was that was a warning to our, you know everybody in the ballpark including the players but primarily the fans and nobody paid any attention to it obviously <laughs> it was just there just you see a lot of that in, in the way things are going on right now too but you know there's right. a lot of signs and broadcasts saying don't do this um because it's not good and people do it anyway so, <laughs> this is this one's kind of wordy but i really like this one it says no true lover <laughs> okay. the guilt um, trip <laughs> yeah exactly yeah it, it's it's the the wordier version of do not throw bottles. Yeah, it's not gonna fly in Glasgow. <laughs> Let him fly. And yeah, so the other one. Uh, yeah, so that's it for screen prints. But I, I also made a few that are up on the wall here that were fan signs, and these are from a while ago. But the very first World Series ever was Boston against the. Pirates. Wow. And the the Red Sox rooting club was called the Rooters. And they were led the by Royal the Royal Rooters, yeah. So this is a sign that they brought to Pittsburgh as a fan group. So as a fan group, I don't know, I don't even know how many members there were, probably 50, 75 members. They all traveled by train to Pittsburgh. And there's a pretty famous uh well, maybe not famous worldwide, but famous locally in Boston sign of, of the Royal Rooters standing in front of, and I think there were some of the players in the two, but they're all in Pittsburgh with a sign that said, uh, Boston wants these games. And then there were some other, oh, actually these are, this is a cartoon of the, the Rooters themselves. Cool. So that's <laughs> with the hat, the black hat and everybody, you know, the, he owned a bar that was a few blocks away from Fenway or, uh, it was actually the Huntington Avenue grounds at that time, but he owned a bar that was in the South End, 
and they would walk to the games every day and they had their own cheering section and they, they were a pretty big, pretty big group for the time. How long did the Rooters last? Obviously, I don't believe they're still around. So they, they started in the 19th century with uh, what became the Boston Braves. They were Braves fans first. And then I think the Braves raised ticket prices and they were, they're called the Bean Eaters back then, but they became the Braves. And they raised ticket prices and then they became Red Sox fans. So the Red Sox built a ballpark <laughs> right around the corner from the, his bar. And, you know, they would meet for a few drinks. They'd talk about the game. Then they'd go to the game, come back. <laughs> and it was called the Third Base Saloon. So it was the last stop before home. And, nice. yeah, it was a, it's a really cool kind of part of uh, Boston and baseball history, this group. And so I think about the 1890s or so is when they formed. And then they basically had to break up when Prohibition started. And I think that was 1919. So once bars became illegal, there was no need for, or there was no place for these fans to meet. Um, and then they, they went away. It's quite sad. You, you, it is, yes. Yeah, an, an institution like that, and especially that follows a team like the Red Sox to play in such a historic ground, you would just wish that, that, that kind of thing still existed, you know? You would, you would yeah. want the Rooters to have existed all this time. And, yeah. Uh, it's particularly for a Red Sox fan, like, you know, when they would have last seen the Red Sox win the World Series as a group, that would have been 1918. And then obviously, as you know, it was a very long way after that. Right. Um, so imagine the, you can just imagine in your, in your mind the reaction of the Rooters to that time, to that, to that year, 2004. Uh, the Red Sox finally breaking that course. You know, it would have been a party atmosphere for sure. Yeah. So it's really cool. lamentable. <laughs> They sell Babe Ruth, and then you can't buy a beer anymore, and then your club is gone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> pretty, pretty dark days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a, actually there was uh, somebody who revived that that bar, or group of guys who revived mm -hmm. it in Boston, um, maybe 10, 12 years ago or so, and it actually just closed recently because of COVID. Nobody's okay. nobody's going. Can't go to bars, so there's okay, yeah. they can't pay their rent, and now they're now they're gone. So it's one of you know, countless baseball bars around the country that have closed because nobody's allowed in the doors. Yeah, because the, the famous one in New York, it was McSorley's? Is that what it is? I, yeah, yeah. I've never been there, but I've, I have I know all about yeah, it. Yeah, no, they had a bunch of memorabilia, so I kind of got it. You know, I spent all of 10 hours in New York, so it's not exactly the same, <laughs> you know. But it was one of the places, like, I've heard of, and I'm like, yeah, I want to go visit it if I, you know, I'm, because eventually, uh, a group of guys that we all go hang out with, we were talking about going for someone's 50th birthday and doing, you know, a week-long trip where we spent half a day in Boston and then half in New York and catch as many games as possible. So yeah, I don't. And someone from New York will probably throw a bottle at me right now, but I don't know if this is the, if, if that was the Red Sox bar, but there is a Red Sox bar in New York that I'm sure has closed as well. But. <laughs> You know, Red Sox bar in enemy territory. Yeah, that's not going to go down very well. That's <laughs> <laughs> like, that's like, imagine having like a, a Celtic bar oh, and gosh. like Govan right beside oh, Ibrox. It's just yeah. not something that could happen in Glasgow. <laughs> no, it, it wouldn't happen. No, it's funny you say that because uh, when I went home for the Seahawks um, Super Bowl victory, I went to my favorite bar that I used to go to um, when I was done with college and I was working. 
and it's a Pittsburgh Steeler bar. And I couldn't believe the fact that my favorite bar had become a Pittsburgh Steeler bar. And I was like, I... <laughs> what, 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 would be the, what would be the history behind that? Is it just that the guy that owns it just happens to be a Steeler? Or... That's exactly the, what it is, yeah. That, that, was, that was like, um, we Googled it to get reservations because I was like, well, if I'm coming, flying back home for like, three days so literally it was home for three days mm. and, I was, and it had that and i was like it's a steelers bar what, what is <laughs> this is my favorite place to go because uh they had yeah. arts and pool and um trivial pursuit if you got the trivial pursuit question oh, awesome actually there you got like your beer for a dollar it was great but uh so did the did the steelers predate the seahawks as like the favorite team in seattle or is there any particular no, the reason that that would be uh, a new owner took it over, but I mean, gosh, like, I, I mean, I was gone for 10 years at this point. Right. So, you know, obviously new owners, they renamed it and then it was a Pittsburgh Steelers bar. And I was like, how bizarre. There's a Pittsburgh Steelers bar in Seattle. It happened to be my favorite bar. Uh, yeah. It was frustrating, but you know, we won the Super Bowl. That's all that matters. <laughs> did you go dressed to the nines in your Seattle Seahawks gear? Of course I did. Yes. <laughs> best 72 hours of my life we won't talk about the following year but it was a good time <laughs> oh dear um, all right you can ask your question <laughs> yes i will ask uh, my closing question uh, finally uh i like to ask all of our guests william the same question at the end and that's uh, as an american and as an artist and as a baseball fan what do the negro leagues mean to you and uh, how is it that you came to become involved with the fundraiser um, well, as I, as I touched on earlier, it was through the stories uh, of the Negro Leagues. Um, I, my personal baseball journey, I guess, I don't know, terrible way to put it, but th that uh, from, from day one as, as a baseball fan has been going through, uh, you know, reading books, hearing oral histories, looking at pictures and just, you know, being, uh, taking in the game as, as a, as a spectator and trying to put myself in the context of history and seeing a group of people who were forced out of uh, society in, in a way that I can't even imagine. And then taking that and creating something beautiful, which is this, this league where, you know, they, they played against major leaguers and they beat them. Um, it's just, it's such a beautiful story to, to see somebody in this, you know, kind of David and Goliath type scenario where, you know, you're not allowed to participate in this, in this major league, but you've created your own major league and you're beating the major leaguers <laughs> at their own game and you're making it more fun and you're making it more beautiful. Um, I don't know how you could find a more beautiful um, story in baseball than to see someone take a terrible situation and make it into a beautiful situation. So that's, that's, what attracts me to the major leagues, um, or, I'm sorry, to the Negro leagues. And uh, why I wanna help is for those very reasons. Um, I, I love these stories. Um, through the years, I've come to know a lot of these players, uh, not personally, but I feel like I know them personally, just you know, reading their stories and, and hearing what they went through. Um, it's, uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's it's something I can't imagine not wanting to be to participate in. So to have an opportunity to be invited into this group where we're creating something for these guys, 
um, there's no way I could ever say no. So it's too good to, too good to ever turn down. Awesome, man. Uh, do you want to plug your social media channels then before we open the baseball cards? Um, I'm at Huntington BBC on everything. So Instagram, uh, occasionally on Twitter, though it's become a little bit toxic, so I try to stay away. Uh, <laughs> it's one of those years. Not so much, but uh, mostly Instagram. So if you want to reach me on Instagram, you can do that. That's probably the easiest, or you can just email me direct at william at huntingtonbaseballco.com. My website is huntingtonbaseballco.com. There we go. You can't give me your website. That's important. Yeah, exactly. Amazing. Well, buy stuff. Oh, I, that's why I pay for my kids. <laughs> that's amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us tonight. It's been an absolute blast talking to you. And uh, hopefully you. we will get another chance to, to speak with you and dive uh, further into it, man. Yeah. Uh, Jason, over to you and let's open right. some, some cards. No, no, we're good. Like, uh, All right. So, William, like I said, we, we're all about the junk era wax. And this is a good fun. So you Wait, before you before you do, Jason, um, you say that every interview. What is junk wax? I have no oh. idea what junk wax is. So you're gonna need to finally explain this to me. <laughs> Baseball cards were produced in the millions uh, during this era, and you can probably say it started probably about eighty-seven. It's kind of the way, and eighty-seven through about the mid nineties cards were produced by various companies overproduced and there's wow, to be honest there's like no value so when we pulled that king Griffey jr card back in 1989 like that card's worth 10 bucks it's probably still worth 10 bucks now <laughs> so it's not you know okay uh, but there were so many of these cards produced so um for a lot of us that open these cards up it's about nostalgia and mm. and being that 14 year old kid that's got 10 bucks in the pocket and you're going to the comic book store that has baseball cards and you're buying a couple packs of cards hoping to pull the king of jr the frank thomas the bo jackson um so it's just kind of about that kind of era but they were just absolutely mass produced um mm -hmm. uh, there was a movie about it about the guy whose dad owned a card shop and upper deck had produced these king of jr cards and it was, i i never pulled them from a pack but apparently upper deck had produced upwards of a million that just printed sheets of Ken Griffey Jr. cards and printed them out and sent it to mm -hmm. dealers. So they're everywhere. So the as much fun as it's been to pull these cards, they're really not worth a whole lot. Like <laughs> the Ken Griffey Jr. card we pulled, it's probably still worth the 10 bucks we pulled it for, so. Yeah. When What was the first year that you started opening card packs? So 87 is the one I remember where I had money to buy stuff. Uh, 86, my parents bought me a Topps set, which I opened immediately because I, I love reading the cards. But I, I, I have cards from like 83 where I would have bought cards at 7-Eleven and bought a couple packs here and there. But that, that was it. But 87 was the year I considered myself a collector. What about yourself? Uh, for me, it was 1986. And I bought, I don't know, a a monster box you know what that is you know four row <laughs> filled it and they're all commons i don't think I, I ever pulled a clemens i probably pulled a few bogs but clemens was the guy i was always after because i think i started following the red Sox after he struck out 20 guys and yeah, yeah. <laughs> against the mariners I, yeah against the mariners yeah yeah sorry <laughs> he's the and, only guy ever to do that twice isn't he yeah he does again against the tigers in 
Um, yeah, but then I, then I went all in like 87, 88, 89. And that stuff is completely worthless. I've got, I've got, so, I've got tonnage, that stuff. <laughs> and I don't, I don't even know if there's anything worthwhile, worth keeping. No, no, 88 is absolutely worthless. There's nothing in the Like, really, it's crap. Like, it's, I went all in. I was 100% in. Absolutely. I was the same way. Full, full, massive chip push into the center of the table. I'm buying all these cards. This is all my paper route money, all my lawn mowing money exactly and that was it like you know like 87 you had mcguire you had bonds you had maddox you know there were some rookies in there uh at 88 it was tom glavin and that's the most card there that's not much um there were there were two things that i spent all my money on it was baseball cards which are worth nothing and the air jordans that i had that are worth a ton of money that i don't have anymore so <laughs> you know what kills me so we, you mentioned my uh, the air jordans so somebody gave me an original set of air jordans first ones as Whoa. far as i know they were in our basement third bedroom and they were in uh, a drawer and they sat there because they were too small like i, I wear like a ten and a half they were tens i never wore them he made me warm once and i was just i just sat in there i have no idea whatever happened to him i mean they were the first pair of brand new michael jordans uh, and yeah of course what are they worth now like what ten thousand uh, dollars upwards from there uh, yeah i would say thousands at least especially in that size too yeah that's it's always killed me to figure it out I, I think my brother your probably, baseball cards. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I mean, it was one of those things we kind of like shoved in the drawer and sat there for years. No one knew what happened to him. Um, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to call my brother and go, yeah. I had Jordans. What go happened? To Seattle, go get those shoes. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure someone probably just pinched him. <laughs> you know, that's it. But, but I didn't think much about it. So um but yeah it's always one of those mysteries that whatever happened to the shoes did mom throw them out because <laughs> wasn't wearing them you know uh, give me back my trainers motherfucker i mean guys I mean, it would have been in like mint condition like never mm -hmm. worn and uh, i've always wondered yeah. what did did mom throw them out to my brother give them to somebody who knows so anyways <laughs> card right opening. i got classics exactly yeah yeah uh all right 89 Donruss, 90 score, 91 studio, 91 stadium club, 92 Donruss, 93 studio, and of course we have the big league baseball that's modern. Mm. Let's go stadium club, because I think those yeah. are $5 a pack. I also have, uh, yeah, I'll dig I'll dig deep. I have 87 Donners and 87 Tops if you want to go that way. Uh, I have 87 Tops at home. 87 Donners, that's the black. Yeah. That's the black border. I, normally I open those on my Wednesdays, but since I'm opening cards every night, I can go into the 87 Donners. Huh. I need a coin. <laughs> All right, we'll fight. <laughs> Let's open two. All right, if you want to do a stadium club and 87 dollars, why not? All right, let's do it. Let's okay, do it. Okay, cool. Let me get the 87 dollars here. And, uh, While he digs those out, I would like to point out that the Yankees are now 5-1 up. Ah, the Indians in the top of the fourth inning. 
You're the only person watching that game. <laughs> <laughs> There's three of us on here. You're the only person watching that one. All right. We'll we'll start with the stadium club. So I you know I never collected these because these were like four or five dollars a pack, and I was all about the tops and yeah, spending a buck a pack. I was working in a card shop when these came out. Oh really? Yeah. And they <laughs> oh have that, that they have that clear like cellophane wrapper right. on it. And you yeah. can read the top and bottom cards. And I remember I had one, I don't know if I still have the unopened pack, but I had one that had a grippy on it. I think it was the back card. Yeah, so you can get those sent in to be graded now. Yeah. I'll have to look. I, I got my cards back from my parents sold their house recently and I got all of my stuff. <laughs> Not just cards, but all my junk from when I was a kid. And it's sitting in the loft. So I'll have to see if I still have that unopened pack. I hope I do. I probably well, don't. But. <laughs> don't throw it out. We'll, we'll chat off screen about this. Yeah. That, I usually put about 10, 15 cards in uh, any jersey order. And uh, I, I let people have junk wax cards that way. So it's been a fun. All right, let me see. That was the first year, right? The Stadium Club, 91? Yes, it was. Oh, oh gosh. All right, yeah. All right. Are they all stuck together? It, well, no, actually it's not. Although, uh, man, I got my 2001 Bowman, which has the Ichiro and uh, Albert Pujols rookie. And it was bricked. Uh. Uh, I literally had to put it in the freezer, which I forgot about for 24 hours. <laughs> Pulled them all out, and it still ruined the cards. But nothing yeah. valuable yet. So, all right, we'll start off with Lance Blakenship. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, that that look says I don't remember that guy at all. <laughs> Bill Spires. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, we're hurting. Although I have to say, with the stadium call, I do like the fact you get the rookie card in the back. That was cool. Yeah. Glossy front and back, too. Mm. Craig Wilson? Nope. Yeah. Um, I remember this guy. Candy no, Molinaro. Who's that? Candy Molinaro. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just because the name? That, yep. <laughs> that's about it. Yeah. Chris Hoyles? <laughs> <laughs> We're struggling here. Like, He's not even got a mustache. Like we're really struggling for anything good. <laughs> I mean, yeah, John's had to sit there about twenty of these already, and he's like, at least the guy had a cool mustache. And these guys only have a cool mustache. Mitch Webster. No. Yeah. Get to the All Stars. Yeah, yeah. Checklist. <laughs> There's probably some good names on the checklist, at least. <laughs> Is Kenny Griffey Jr. on that checklist? <laughs> Tim Hollett? <laughs> we're, we're really he, look, he looks terrified. Rhymes with mullet. All right. So we, we have pulled a rookie card here. Any guesses? Technically, he played for the, the Red Sox in the minor leagues. Jeff Bagwell. It is. It's Jeff Bagwell. Yes. Oh. All right. I think it's the only card that has any value in this whole set. Is a Jeff wow. Bagwell rookie. Nice. Back when he was skinny. <laughs> oh, man. Do you think he did steroids? Do I think? Yeah. I mean, I didn't see him do them, so I can't <laughs> say definitively, but. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, it's one of those things, you know, it's never been proven, not been said, <laughs> you know, uh, you never know. Allegedly. Allegedly, yeah. yeah. That's like, is Kurt, is Kurt Cobain dead? Well, I, I didn't kill him personally, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, John's going to like this one. Luis Gonzalez. 
2001. It's a, I think it's his rookie card, John. No, it's not a rookie card, but <laughs> should, should I put oh. my Diamondbacks hat back on? That, 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 that card, I guarantee you, will, will be my birthday present for this bastard this year. <laughs> now that you said that, I'm going to put it as soon as you get Heavy J's card, I'm going to send that with that there, there. No problem. <laughs> All right. Chuck Knobloch. I think you a cool, cool looking card. Yankee. Uh, championship winning Yankee. Not bad. Yeah, we very much appreciated him in Boston. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't make the throw to first base for a while. No. <laughs> got the, yeah, he got the yaps pretty bad. <laughs> and then Ed Nunez. Well, I remember, he was a Mariner, so that's the only reason I know this guy. Nice moustache. Nice yeah, that's true. Yeah, he's rocking the mustache. So, all right. Well, we got a Bagwell rookie. That's uh, that's actually probably the best card you can get in that set. Um, but let's go up the '87 Donners, which I love. I've already pulled uh, two Maguires and the and uh, Bo Jackson out of it. So, let's see what else we can pull. Oh, oh start off with the Red Sox. Dewey White Evans. Dewey, nice. That's a mustache. That is a mustache. That is a handsome man right there. Look at that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, rated rookie, Randy Myers. Wow. Yeah, he was part of the nasty boys there. All right. Let's see. Dan Plezak. I remember him oh. as a closer. I remember him at the tail end. He's career. He's now an announcer, isn't he? Is he an announcer? Yeah, he's does the he's a he's an analyst on the MLB the show games. Yeah, uh, the PlayStation 4. So, so you guys send some of the sprinkles my way. <laughs> I'm trying to like eat them as stealthily and as quietly as possible so that the stream isn't just me. <laughs> we'll put you on mute. There we go. We got candy again, twice this time with the with the giants. <laughs> Randy Bush. Randy Bush. See, I like the how the helmet. Like I said, I like the twins hat from that era. I like the red with the blue. Mm. Ugly. Denny Walling. I vaguely remember him. He was kind of a player. I'm trying to look at these cards. Uh, ooh. Oh my gosh. Don Manley. Yay! Hey! Donnie Baseball. I love that man. We got Donnie Baseball there. That's a, that's a really cool All of card. Famer Donnie Baseball. Oh, wait. Not Hall of Famer. Oh, <laughs> oh very good. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> tell, you what, tell me what, Jason, I think you should post that one to William for that comment. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Like, I like, I've never had this card. Like, I'm actually truly excited. It will go in my poly pockets to the rest of my Donald Monday cards. I'm pretty excited about this. Actually, that's actually not true. That will go directly to Graham at Shout Out Sports Cards, uh, mm -hmm. big Don Manley fan. So, yep. uh, so Graham, if you're still watching, that card's coming your way. And if you're not still watching, shame on you. You're not getting it. <laughs> it is like 1.40 in the morning for us. So This is true. This is also true. Uh, Ted Simmons from the Braves. Uh, Greg uh, Garfinkel says uh, so he said initially worse than my pack and then now that you've got the a couple more he said never mind he got me now <laughs> uh, that you got well, Ted Simmons yeah <laughs> alright Dave Stewart he looks oh yeah I love Dave Stewart man he, he just never smiles <laughs> he looks he like he's just been told some really horrific news no no that, that's how he always looks 
Yeah. Quite yeah, an intense okay. guy. I don't think I've ever seen him smile. Oh, man. Another Hall of Famer. Kirby Puckett. Oh, the legends. That's a good That's a good Kirby Puckett card. I'm, a, I'm still a big fan of Kirby Puckett. He was the honorary captain of the American League in the first All-Star game I ever watched. Huh? Second baseball game I ever watched. Could only see him one eye that time, so... Ooh, Darren Dalton, Dutch. There we go. I have a I have a Darren Dalton card. Um, and maybe that one turned out. Yeah, five back. cards. <laughs> let, let me see the back. Yeah, I think it's that card I've got. Well, I didn't send it to you. I don't think I had that card. Oh no, no, I got it over friends randomly. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> yes, yeah, because I was asking you, is this actually worth anything? And you're like, no. <laughs> Vince Coleman, we're not going to see anyone like Vince Coleman again. No, no. no one's going to steal 130 bases again. You, you sold what? 130 bases. In, in a no, season? In one season, yeah. So his first season he sold, wow. and the second season he sold 107. Yeah, in the 80s, it was all about speed. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm <laughs> All right, Jerry Naren, you probably know him as a manager. Yeah, I know that name, yeah. Yeah, he was a manager. I, I don't remember if he was a catcher at all. So, mm. all right, we're down to two more cards. We got Jose Guzman for the Rangers. Okay. Solid mustache, solid. Yeah. yeah. And we're end on Dave Collins, who I have no idea who he is. Um. Yeah, he's... Uh... There's something, yeah, there's something in his eyes there that's just a bit terrifying. <laughs> All right, William, it's been brilliant. Uh, it was actually nice to actually see you face to face for the first time. I know we've been trading messages for probably the last year and whatnot. Thank you for coming on. It's been an absolute blast. Thank you, lads. It's my pleasure. Absolutely. Yes. Plunge to you. Cheers. Salute. Thanks so much, William, and uh, hopefully we get a chance to do this again and catch up. Thank you, John. Thank you, Jason. My pleasure. Thank you. Good night. Night.